Hey friends, this is episode 30. And who do we got on this week? Bruce. What's the stage name? You. R1. You can check him out. He gets called by. R1. one <laughs> You can check him out on social media on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Who are we doing a podcast Instagram. with? We're doing a podcast with Bruce. I'm sorry, I recently hired somebody and. It's not working out. He he doesn't get the schedule. Yeah, he my mom. No. <laughs> my dad has glasses on because he is blind and he's an old man. That. He is. He is almost nine. He's almost um twenty. I mean, he's almost thirty-nine. What? He's I'm almost, not almost thirty-nine. You know, he's almost thirty. Ten, but I I know in the back one that's him, but but he keeps saying that he is younger, but he is older because I am older than him. I am. How are you, nine. my son? And you're I am nineteen. I know I'm not his son, really. I'm really not his son. <laughs> Who are you then? Okay, Jerry. Hey guys. Yeah, my little man. He said that he wanted to give it a shot, so. I figured I'd let him introduce this week's guest, but I'm very excited. Bruce really fired me up um, and got me pushing myself out out of my comfort zone more, kind of thinking about um, how I can pitch like poetry shows to venues. Definitely not comedy. I have no idea what I'm doing with that shit, but poetry, I've been doing it for a while about five years now and I've always had really interesting ideas that I never acted on but Bruce is firing me up I hope you guys are enjoying yourselves the leaves are starting to change here winter's coming quick I think it's the first year that I wasn't sneering at the thought of that I'm not excited it's just different it'll be fun but If you guys enjoy this episode, please rate, review, and share it with all your friends. Um, You can find Bruce at um, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter is all one voice. That's all one word. I'll also um, drop the links in the description to the show as well. And, yeah. I hope you guys enjoy it. There's, um, in the intro, we start off talking about um, an artist that both really inspired us in many different ways. It was an idea of idea and abilities, or Michael Larson. He also was in Face Candy and many other projects that were that were just... Some of them were really out there, some of them very grounded, but but they all informed me on a personal level of just having fun and not worrying about what people think of you. That shit's hard sometimes for me. But, hey, we all got our shit, I suppose. <laughs> I'm going to play you with a, with a song by All One called a day summary
the he did the album underneath of a collaboration and they were named uh, Almost Elijah I've put the links in the show notes to his to check out his album um, and social media and his SoundCloud account too you can also ch- you'll also find a link to his YouTube page and he's got this uh, spontaneous Sunday show uh, it, was, it was pretty good uh, you guys might like it if, if you're into like ciphering and stuff like that um, and even just storytelling too I've always been interested in the idea of like off the cuff storytelling but kind of like a, um, is it, this is not happening by Ari Shafir it's not really off the cuff they kind of you know vet it out but it'd just be fun Maybe I just like telling stories. <laughs> he even has this interesting little comic. I think it's like a weekly comic that he does on Instagram. It's like, Doug's? It's pretty cool little one-liners, but I like them. You could find that on, uh, I think, at All One Voice. I hope you guys enjoy your week, and here we go. Sunny, bright beams, lovely Bees garbed in sweaters, buzzing round me, pollen peppered, budding, blossoming flowers, fluttering gossamer wings, crowded, fragrant grass mold walks by me as faces pass on walk smiling. In Some with spunk Two cheeks stuffed They pick up limbs strong With nuts and then run To eat lunch Trickling stream beds Tickling me when Dripping we tread Dipping feet wet Swerving birds sing Chirping smoothly Much like children will when sprinklers weep and leave that to that linger.
homemade lemonade Go and pay a quarter You predict a weak mix But it's the neighbor's daughter Cotton crafted clouds break Now make a thousand shapes Forgotten sadness shroud fades Lounging in found shade A siren's melody incessantly Is on your tongue Beside the ice cream off the truck That you'd heard it from Time is suspended Surely when relaxing As you were when in Your port swing your hammock try to do it too so you don't put this like strange stigma in between you right, and like, the other person. Again, also, the person I mean I have so much I'd like to say and so much you know but also you know like when I try to meet people I like like when I met Asap Rasta the first of whatever three or four times I've seen it it was like I was just like hey I just want you to know you know when you're in your really dark places and when you're not doing okay and you're wondering if, if it's all worth it you know, just know that you've saved so many lives and so many people and, like, your art is, is so amazing. And just, like, little things that are more human than, like, bro, sign my boob or, you know, like, mm-hmm. dude, like, someone was actually trying to freestyle idea, like, freestyle battle idea, like, randomly, just, like, after a show while they were in the middle of a tour at, like, one in the morning, 
when they were all just trying to like talk and were probably exhausted. Yeah. Like, Man, what a what an inconsiderate, like dehumanizing thing to just sort of like turn someone into your organ grinder monkey mm-hmm. and make them feel beholden to you just because like you like albums that they like. They they made, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was like so it was like it's such an ugly, like inhuman way to interact with someone and I it bothered me. But anyway, so so yeah, so I wrote um, the day that he passed, I found out, I wrote that song, um, and then I recorded it, I think it was like a year later, um, over music music, and, and all the language in it is, you know, it's like my relationship to him, and or whatever, and, and the impact he had on me, and on hip-hop, and on and descriptions of him, but it's also like, the majority of it is sort of like, um, it's all, it's not cut and pasted, it's like a collage of all of the language is used from like his album names and his project titles and his like songs, uh, his song titles, like little stuff. name drops here and there, kind of. <laughs> yeah, there's there's probably like fifty references in there. Dude, <laughs> so, that's like, so cool. If you peel layers away, um, and some people have, and I don't, I think it's a weird thing to have a competition of, and I'm not bragging about it, but like some people somehow said that like, you know, there's like a. Um, we have no idea, like, page or something um, to the, dedicated to the memory. And there's a big community of people there that I've met some really awesome people through. And, um, and um, but, you know, some people said, like, oh, this one, like, Bruce's are all ones. This tribute is my favorite one. And, that's, like, to hear that is kind of, like, a crazy thing. And um, But, yeah, so a lot of projects is uh, <laughs> the short answer is a lot of, a lot of projects and constantly more. I'm always working on multiple things at a time. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's kind of where I'm at too. Is it's like I have multiple. I'm always working on things that interest me in a variety of ways, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I for the idea thing, you know, I find it so interesting that the people that I've met from people that have met known him, you know, for extensive amount of time, or very little, or never even met him almost like feel this intense and overwhelming connection to the stuff that he's put out and just him as a person. Like, right. And like, I, tribute vulnerability and the humanity of the, of the work, you know, yeah, dude, that was the most, ins- he was one of the most influential people in my life. And I don't mean to, um, uh, conflate that. It was mm-hmm. I, like talking about, you know, the whole chaos and all that other stuff. He, he exposed me to a whole new <laughs> idea of, um, what was going on inside of my own head and like right. and my relation to the people around me too because you know when you were like I was growing up in you know 90s and stuff and early 2000s right. all you saw on TV was a cherry picked <laughs> representation of whoever whatever personality that was you know whether it's an actor or if it's the news people um, and for me that informed that, that told me in like a, a very uh, subtle way that these people are different. There's that other, like when you're talking about that guy who just goes up to idea and just starts trying to like freestyle him. Um, it, it's like, you're not just you, not normal person. You know, you're you, you, all my expectations wrapped up into flesh. And um, idea was one of the people who his music broke that barrier for me because I, I think how vulnerable he was. Yeah, in his own music, like I realized, wow, dude, this guy fucking struggles with some real shit. And I know you could hear that in like you know Amy Winehouse and 
stuff like that. But it was just the way that he conveyed it. It it just it felt real. Yeah, and when you were, huh? I I said no. I was just completely agreeing with you. (laughs) (laughs) When you started, so what year did you start your first? How old were you when you first started your uh, first album? Um. So I've been writing my whole life, but like you know, in varying degrees of obviously capability. And I, I'd say I, my relationship with writing at all started in, in like 10th grade in a, in a English class and then with, you know, a poetry unit. And I started writing a lot and that was like 2005. Um, and then, and then from there I started writing a lot more. And then, so I grew up as like a punk rock kid. Um, so I grew up like one of my, one of my favorite bands still, um, and I realized the through line was the lyricism, but, um, like one of my favorite bands ever, uh, is Bad Religion. Yeah, dude, Bad Religion's the shit. Yeah, so they're amazing, and I, like, have all their stuff, and I'm a total fanboy, and I've seen them so many times. So, you know, they have Epitaph Records, and I don't know if you remember, but, you know, we're around the same age, so around, like, 2004 because 2004 was when E-Man came out. So it's earlier than that. But, um, uh, or maybe it's 2005, regardless. Um, the Epitaph Records had signed on Mitch Francis, Atmosphere. They had seemingly like some kind of deal with underground artists because it wasn't about just being punk rock. It was about like the mentality of emotion and political angst and, and so it was idea and abilities and atmosphere and Sage Francis and all those guys were on an epitaph compilation. I think it's Punkorama Volume Eight. Punkorama Volume Eight. Yeah, I think that's the one. And it had uh, Now by ENA by Idea and Abilities. It had Why the Cage Bird Sings I Know uh, by you know from Seven's Travels mm-hmm. um, from Atmosphere. And then it had um, it had. Francis's Makeshift Patriot. Ooh, I love that song. And that song, undoubtedly that song, not even the other songs, really. I wasn't feeling, I didn't feel an idea immediately, especially because, like, uh, that particular song is, like, way more battle-y and way more, like, rappy and super fast, and I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even, like, I didn't really like Slug's voice at first. You know, now I think he's one of the best, but at the time, it just didn't work for me. But hearing Makes a Patriot opened me up to how <clears throat> hip-hop and how writing and how rapping and, and all these things in poetry could be so interesting and multi-layered and challenging and progressive and <clears throat> and engaging. And so single-handedly, thanks to Sage Francis and his Makes a Patriot song, I started listening to and writing in a more rap style. Um, and Wait. from there, you know, and- I got into... Did you say animal rap style? What was that? Did you say animal rap style? Oh, just like in a more, uh, just in a more rap type of... of oh, Aiden, okay. Valuing that style of writing more um, and seeing merit in it. And I started listening to more like, you know, Def Jux artists and, and, and Rhyme Sayers artists and discovering, you know, Aesop Rock and Blueprint and all these guys. Um, and really delving into that, and I kind of like fell in head first and, and fell head over heels as well. <laughs> and um, and so it was several years, it was probably about four years 
um, of, or maybe five, of writing like that. Mm-hmm. And of writing, I started performing around 2006, I guess. And so... When before you when you were starting to perform, it was were you doing like hip hop or just poetry? It's just a rhyming sort of poetry. Okay. Um, it was just sort of like hip hop influenced, um, but like poetry, and I would just perform the acapella. And I I was lucky to have a cafe, a local cafe um, called Cool Beans on on Long Island um, that my friend and now my housemate. Um, uh, he was the host of that open mic, and so I, we would. That became a safe haven and like a whole scene, um, oh. and and so you know I got my performance chops there. Um, you know, performing and at least a, at least once a week, if not multiple times a week for like three years straight. You know, and like every yeah, like every now. week going back and having something new to share and trying something else out and starting to play with musicians and other poets and collaborating. And and then, so my first album, which is called Collaboration, uh, is eight tracks, and it really is just sort of born out of the friendships of that open mic, as it's, it's mostly just my poetry over various styles of music, whether it's blues or jazzy or um, experimental sort of avant-garde stuff or folk. Um, and it's either me featuring on like sort of remixed, pseudo remixed like versions of people's songs that I knew who made music already, or new collaborations with them. Um, and so that was 2000. That was that came out in June 2010. Was my first record, and I was recording that in 2009 um, and 2010. <clears throat> and that was that was the first time I immortalized anything because it also re- reminded me that. Like, I would perform these things, and they'd be so multi-layered um, and whatnot, and I, they would often be fast. And I realized, well, uh, I need to start recording this stuff because people aren't getting it all in one sitting, and people want to hear it more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I started recording music. Um, they're thinking more like a recording artist and thinking more in terms of songs and song structures and ideas and things like that. So... Um, like a natural progression. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So 2010 was the first album, and and I'd say I probably started like really writing and becoming what would initially be what would eventually become like all one or whatever. <coughs> um, that was around uh, probably like 2005 or six, and then eventually you know kind of like just kept growing and and then I came up with the all one moniker. If you want to laugh, the initial. The initial moniker was playwright, like, <laughs> right about like writing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I like and, it's better uh, than mine. Mine used to be like, uh, what is it? There was like kill your king, and then there was one really weird cryptic one that I could barely remember. So I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then eventually I I settled on all one, and um, and then that's sort of I just like kept pushing with that and kept creating in that and sort of having a, an understanding of like my ethos and things I value and ways, you know, my sort of like code of ethics when it came to creating and what I wanted to share with people and the mark I wanted to make and, and hopefully the messages I wanted to send and the impact that I hope to have on people generally through this art. It's like almost as you can see, it sounds like as you continued, you, you just like started off with writing 
and then it just grew from there. Like, yeah. It's, it's always been, I mean, at the heart of everything, no matter what I'm doing, I'm always a writer first, I think. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm right there with you because that's what I've danced between. Um, I've danced between poetry, uh, comedy, and even hip-hop, and it was all under the guise of just writing. Right. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether I'm doing, when I'm writing prose or I'm writing a rap song or I'm doing a spoken word piece or whatever, or I'm doing monologues for a friend, historical, progressive punk album or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, all that stuff. Uh, that's the thing that actually happens. <laughs> but, uh, all, yeah, my, one, of my, one of my favorite bands ever right now is Habitualist um, Committee. They're a, long, they're a Long Island band of, of really talented friends of mine. There's so much talent out here. Really? Um, yeah, it's really, really intense. And it's, it's such a great thing, too, um, being around other, uh, a big pool of talent that's that's actively, like, working on their stuff. I've noticed that going from a small town, um, doing just being, you know, isolated, to uh, moving mm-hmm. to Seattle, where I'm exposed to, like, all of these people who are, like, hungry and it's it has really caused me to step up my expectations yeah i think across the whole board of across the spectrum i mean granted yes i'm i'm adjacent to new york city i mean come on but Mm -hmm. at the same time the island itself which i think is overshadowed a lot um has such a fertile sort of like become grouping of of artists across all mediums that it's, it's really amazing, and I've been lucky enough to, you know, share stages with many of them and collaborate with many of them, and, and whether it's, you know, singers and musicians and and, and playwrights and poets and comedians and, um, you know, all kinds of, of different folks. Like, there's so much here. So there's, on any given night, there's more than more than three things to do on any day of the week, probably, throughout, you know, the, the two-hour drive that you have in any given direction. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, and so that's something you know. In, in the, the in the touring I've done, that's something I've consistently been like. Yeah, you know, people, you know, because people always complain about where they live, and people be like, "There's nothing to do here." And I think it comes back to that greed thing. And I think I believe wholeheartedly in that statement. If you're bored, you're boring. Uh, <laughs> if you're bored, you're boring. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, I think it's. It's great, uh, but I think like it's it's up to you. I mean, there's always so you know. I always tell people when I come back, you know, from performing around the country or whatever. I'm like, not that I do it all that often. I'm making it sound like I'm from Jack Better. Ideally, I would be, but um, <laughs> in road warfare, but you know, it's just not there just yet. Yeah. But in any case, um, in any case, um, the, you know, I'm always saying like, you know, there's a lot of great scenes, but. You know, we're really lucky. We're really lucky to have what we have because there, you know, some people have like, you know, twice or three times a month. There's something to do, mm-hmm. um, and there's like two venues. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we have dozens of venues, and so that is also, you know, the the luck, the sheer luck. I think that's part of it. You know, like people say, it's luck when you're a writer, blah blah. Well, it's just lucky circumstances too. Yeah. You know, like I have to, I have the innate. Uh, just sort of like circumstantial privilege of being born in a place where there's a lot of creativity and there's a lot of opportunity to perform and to see people perform and become uh, inspired, you know, just to go to shows and see all these people. And 
and the population is high. So, like, hopefully, while sometimes it's like, well, shows and and characters are and performers are a dime a dozen, so it can work against you. At the same time, there's always like some people to to start a band with or to make an album with, or you know, everyone everyone knows. I remember a friend said, um, "You always, he's like everyone was in a band at some point." And I was like, I don't know if you could say that in most places, but it almost feels true. At least one in three people like that I've met, one of them has been in a band at some point. You know? yep. like, that's super cool. And and that's such a great opportunity to grow as an artist. So I'm really grateful for that, for all the people that have like, lent me their time and talent to work on projects, whether they're producers or musicians or singers or what have you. Mm-hmm. Artists, especially, like visual artists and whatnot. And see, I'd always... They like you know it, it is lucky in the sense that you know to be in a place that has a very fertile um, uh, community of performers to um, influence you or to uh, to just make it yeah I guess to influence you um, but I think now with the internet like yeah, you get ex- yeah you get exposed to um, the idea of like this is possible I think that's the important thing that that like the most yeah, important. It's just the fact that you know that it's possible. And then after that, what you said about if you're bored, you're boring, I think that applies then. Does that make sense? Like if you're in a town where there's like only one venue and you're like, oh, there's only one place for me to play. Okay, start making something. Well, either make new places or play at that place or get in your car and go. That's what I'm talking about. No competition there. So you could just go and IHOP and literally, and someone's done this, like a comedian that I know, he did it in a small town. Just walked into an IHOP at like 10 o'clock at night and he's like, can I do a set here? And they just looked at him and they said, sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So, yeah, it's your luck, but then it's also your hard work. You know, it's it's capitalizing on the luck. Yeah. It's what is that what is that I think it's Jefferson quote. <laughs> or it's like luck is, is preparation meets hard like hard work meets opportunity or something. Yeah, it's um what is it? But it, it takes away the power of of like fortuitousness and, and puts it puts the onus on the person to actually work. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I just tried to pull up a Jefferson quote about luck too. I've heard the one that you were talking about, and then but what I just get smacked in the face with right now is I am a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's so true. It's once again putting yourself in that place where you have the opportunity to see these things more often, so you can catch that right. Luck. Um, and you, when you were going up and doing poetry, I have a friend and myself included, like when I started performing poetry seven years ago or so, and that's kind of what got me started was idea and abilities and, uh, Aesop rock and stuff. Cause I was, couldn't find a producer and I figured why not like chunk it down. So I learned how to, um, write and tried to learn cadence and stuff. Um, but a lot of people, people who were interested and um, hip hop, like, there's not really. Uh, this is what you have to do: develop rhythm and cadence. It's right. What What did you What did you do? Would you just go up to an open mic and just experiment with like uh, different rhyme schemes, or were you um, like uh, covering uh, hip hop songs? 
Um, well, so I would just write, um, and I would just kind of find my own, you know, I mean, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still experimenting all the time now. Um, and my sense of, my sense of rhythm and my musical understanding has grown so much. Like you could even see, I have way more of a sort of like freewheeling spoken word, uh, cadence that's a little all over the place on the 2010, like debut album to what I'm doing now, which is a little more pedantic and it's a lot more like, you know, it seems all over the place because I have sort of, um, an arrhythmic like style or like my relationship to the beat is like, I remember I heard, uh, Rakim say this, um, and I realized, wow, that's how I think of it too. But he basically said like he, he grew up playing the saxophone, I believe. And so he sees the beat, uh, as like the one, the, the beat is the steady thing. And then he's kind of like soloing. Oh. So like his voice is the instrument and the, the beat is just holding it down. So he's like, I knew I had 16 bars, so as long as I, whatever I did, as long as it was within those 16 bars, it was fine. Like, as far as and all these things. So he was, you know, you have all these polyrhythms on with the four, the regular 4-4 four, four beat of the instrumental, but you have, you know, all these interrupt patterns, and you hear all these melodies. And like, so to me, what's always been interesting has been, I mean, obviously, wordplay is a huge fun, interesting thing, and it's a good way of expressing that sound, but also, um, I kind of think of every word as having its own melody, and you can mess with, you can mess with those, but you know, the way each word has a syllable, each has a syllable count, and each word is said a certain way, or you can change the way you say it, and so, the relationships between words become sort of like puzzle pieces to where you can mess around with the patterns, and so it's just been a constant experimentation as I go with like what's interesting to me and what feels fun to do and what I enjoy about the mellifluousness of certain lines or words or the relationship between words and homophones and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, I think it's also, again, it's a matter of listening and saying, well, how do they do that? And then trying it out and saying like, Oh, well, you know, like you could break down someone's style and be like, oh, that's what they're doing. They're doing this, they have this A pattern and then it turns into a, a B thing for two syllables and then then they do a, a double time thing and that's how that line sounds like that. Mm-hmm. Or they're making their voice go higher and then they're doing something slow mm-hmm. and lower in their vocal tones. And so it's just asking, like listening to other things and then asking how did that person get there? And in, in asking how they got there and working backwards, will tell you sort of the methodology and the thought process behind the creative and behind the creative idea or the imagination that it took to come up with a certain rhyme pattern or a certain cadence. Um, The same as you would pick up like a chemistry book, you're picking up an album. Right. Yeah. You pick up an album and you just listen and you say, what do you like? What do you not like? And, And even more importantly than those things, why is that? What is it you like? What do you feel works? And what don't you feel works? I mean, I've always, I've often had a, a, a problem with this, but I, I do believe. I mean, I can be kind of snobby about, you know, hip hop and, and music and and like what's good and, you know, like a, a little yachty. Like I'm, like, I'm just like, why, you know? Well, why? <laughs> it's, we don't need it. It's yeah. not needed. 
know, like, and a lot of the times, like I said, I only really tend to listen to, I don't really even listen to that much hip-hop at this point. Like, I'm, I'm more interested in training my ear w- with music and learning more musical technique and learning more musical rules and, and music theory. So, like, I've been listening to a lot more music and, and it's all about songwriting and things like that. Oh. Plus, like I said, I've been doing more, a lot more singing on my side project, so I've been listening to music um, that has more of that and more folky stuff, and I've been playing drums, so I've been listening to a lot of jazz because I really like jazz, and I'm like, how does it work? Why? What is it? So, so it's just digging and doing the research and, and trying to understand the inner working. You know, I mean, like, how do you find out the cause of death? Well, you got to do an autopsy. Well, how do you how do you find out the the cause of the creation? Well, you kind of got to dissect it. Yeah, it's in the same. It's in the same light as almost everything else we do. Just because it's a creative pursuit doesn't mean that it's necessarily any different in terms of process. Right, and I guess what I was, I, what I didn't say that I wanted to, but I deviated which is the ADD thing. My jetpack is starting up. Um, is that you know you can learn just as much from a little Wayne as you could learn from an Aesop Rock in a way. Mm. You know, you can, there's just different things to learn. Yeah, it is. It's like, you can't even, it's almost like someone who, who calc, maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but calculus bagging on someone in algebra, there's not necessarily a hierarchy. Right. If, yeah. It's just, and, but yeah. what are the, the tools that are used, in, you know, by someone like, you know, mm-hmm. by someone like a, a 21 Savage what like the the album the EP I'm working on now I'm incorporating I mean I'm doing it in my way but I'm incorporating some like trap flow into my mm-hmm. delivery um, again simply because I'm like oh that's interesting da 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 I'm like okay so it works in triplets a triplet a triplet a triplet a triplet like so okay and then and then so I'll just that's all it is right there then I have the template I have the hangman lines I just have to fill them in with the words I want. That's mm-hmm. all that's right that rapping is. It's like writing plus math equals rap. Yeah. But I mean also there's you know, there's the inspiration and the music and all that. Mm-hmm. But um but I mean like it's all a numbers game. A lot of it's like a numbers game. And it kind of demystifies it a little bit and it's like, nah, you're thinking too hard or whatever. It's like flow and yeah, but where do you think flow comes from? And it's from like placing things in the right spot and saying them in the right way and letting them land in in the right or the interesting places. And um, if I if I just frame it in a different way, that um, if math is simply another just a different language, um, I would almost say that you're just describing it in a more accurate way because that's what math is supposed to do is describe patterns, whereas la- language falls right. flat. But right, yeah. Like for instance, what something that interested me early on was that um, I would have drummers come up to me at shows where I rap because a lot of the times like there's a lot of talented hip hop out here but like, a lot of talented rappers but there's also a lot of stuff I don't particularly care for um, still a lot of like dime a dozen SoundCloud weed rap like I'm good I have a gun blah blah mm-hmm. blah pussy whatever being that's lazy kind of, that's not interesting to me I just don't think you need to do it I don't think you need to share it I don't think anyone needs to hear it like, I, I'll be a total asshole about it, but I just, like, you don't need to do that. Or, like, if this is not the way, like we said before, if, I always laugh, like, 
this is all chaotic. How insane it is if you were, if the impetus for you to chase hip hop, to chase rapper dreams is money, then just go get a job in a trade. Or in four <laughs> years, for example, you're going to make $100,000 a year, whereas otherwise you're just going to be like, Forty in your parents' basement smoking pot, like <laughs> more than likely, yeah. to pursue rap. Especially if you're not bringing anything to the table, you're just like jumping into, oh, this is what I think a rapper is, so that's what I'm going to talk about. And it's not even about you; it's just you fitting into a role and hoping that it works out for you monetarily. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but it's like so, eating candy, basically. Right. So, so I say that to say I don't play a lot of shows with rappers. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, I often play with more with bands, and okay. um, and so lots of drummers will come up to me and, and say like, "Man, like, you know, the way that you rhyme, or the way that you rap, and the way that your cadence is, is like so interesting." And then we'll get into talks about rhythm, you know, and it's like, it's like, wow, you know, if you really listen, because a lot of times I'll I'll have people say like, "Well, I don't like your flow," or like, "I don't think you can flow. You don't ride the beat." I'm like, "Well, I have a, I just have a different like." approach to what I do with the beat. Like, I'm hitting all the offbeat. Or like, uh, what I'm doing makes sense in the context of what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. what the beat's doing is playing off of that. Because if I have a 10-syllable rhyme scheme or whatever, then that's going to be in a different time signature depending on how I say it. So it's going to land on the three and then the two and then the three. Like, And so it's just going to have a different relationship to where the word lands in the beat. So I'm not always landing on the four. I'm not always, you know, like, that might not be that interesting to me. So I just don't do it. <laughs> or I have a split, so I hang back, and I land on the end of three or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Or I'll go late, and then I'll hit the, I'll go over the bar line and just land where it is. But as long as the cadence is, is good to me, as long as the rhythms are good in relation to themselves, then what I'm doing is fine. I mean, if there's also no rules. That's another important thing I always try to remind people. It's like, there's no fucking rules. Yeah. You do whatever you I mean, there, there, there's no rules. There's no, I, I want to do this, but I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But not be, you know, and you don't might not like it, but you might not think I'm supposed to, you know, do a spoken word thing in the middle of a verse or whatever, or I'm, you know, not supposed to sing on this or whatever it is, or like, or that's not hip hop. I don't care about genre. Mm-hmm. I, w- I don't care about that at all. Yeah, like that's... you're not hip hop, okay? Fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I and... did what I wanted to do, and I think it came out what I, like, you know, like I'm proud of it because I reached my vision. So whatever, I'm not beholden to any particular um, genre or whatever. Mm-hmm. And nobody is; they just kind of forget. It's just I. The more I think about it, the more I think, the more I approach new projects, the more I realize that the criteria that we decide is good. Is, is only the, it's about serving the concept of the project, serving the song, and like the rules that we give ourselves to our intention in the songwriting. Huh. Um, so it's like, well, I don't, I might not want to do punchlines on a historical, uh, historical nonfiction track. Yeah. Because the language, it's, yeah, you value that in hip hop, but it doesn't feel right for the mood for me to say like, you know, she did this like this pop culture reference. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm talking about an 1850s serial killer nurse. I don't mm-hmm. think it's appropriate. It doesn't feel right lingually or like linguistically to, to incorporate that style. It's too modern. It takes you out of the mood of the song. And before anything, like I said, I'm a writer, I'm a songwriter. 
So like those will be my rules for this particular project. For other stuff, for other projects, I'm like punching all over the place. You know, like I have really interesting wordplay and, and but if you know, the rules for the thing I'm working on now are a little different. And it's more about just straight words and straight writing and using the English language well as opposed to conforming to the rule of, of rapping or conforming to what's considered a good line in rap, which would be like, you know, some kind of wordplay thing or a simile uh, that makes a reference to something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you, when, so when you're playing with, um, all, with the literary devices and structure, um, yeah. experimenting, do you, so like comedy, you know, you, you'll write and then you'll go on stage and what works you take note of, what doesn't work you take note of, and then you write with that new information. And do you, so how is that like for you? Like, do you, do you, do you write it and then you just work it out and it's based on how you enjoy it? Or do you like go up to an open mic or go perform somewhere and you see how the audience, like do you feed off the audience at all? Uh, not really. It's so, it's, it's totally, um, like me in a vacuum as much as anyone can be in a vacuum. Um, I don't do a lot of like, uh, creative, uh, group, um, criticism or anything. And neither do I. Um, which may sometimes be to my detriment, but, and it may also be indicative of just like my own guardedness about my process and about, you know, the vulnerability of my, of my relationship with my work and my skill set. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, if I'm not working with somebody else, I mean, for the most part also, my writing process is I write without music and then I seek music out and then I apply the, <laughs> and then I apply the the lyrics and adjust, you know, for room or for certain cadences and stuff. And that, you know, we write a little bit, but for the most part, like I have my ideas first and then I kind of think like, well, what music tells the story well, or what mood is, what, what, has the mood that fits this concept or whatever. Uh, that's kind so of that's also yeah. kind of counterproductive to a lot of like what I've heard musicians and rappers and stuff say. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to the like writer first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where I'm at too is where I've always done that. I've always tried to like um, lay words, you know, lay words on top of a beat or I, I just go out and I have all of these ideas and I just, that's what I do is practice ways to deliver them, you know, effectively and, and not effectively, entertainingly, like a way that's captivating to myself, really. And I, I really enjoy that process, the kind of refining it and working it and understanding it, um, by exploring different devices and cadences with your writing. Right. That's why I enjoy, um, performance to the utmost when it comes to writing. It can be performance really of any sort. And it's that sharing it with the audience and constantly like on the tip of your mind when you're performing it. Even if you don't go to perform, go up to perform to edit your work, but just going up and sharing it with people every time. It's just something to it, you know? I mean, to me, like, if I don't perform for a while, I get depressed. Like, I don't feel right. Um, Performance is such a huge aspect. It goes back to me being the class clown. It goes back to me being the ham. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the love of, like, the want to, to 
send a message and to communicate and to being a people person and to being gregarious and to being like a raconteur. I want to tell stories and I, you know, so yeah, I mean, I could write in a vacuum and I could just put stuff online and the internet is such a great place to, I mean, there's, you know, I use the internet to book all the stories that took me to all these people and places I've never met before and people I've never, you know, spent time with. Um, but at the same time, there's no replacement to me for the actual act of, and I'm, and I'm sure you share this thought or know it, but, you know, there's no replacement to me for the sheer act of just being there, being vulnerable, being in the room with whoever's in the room with whatever's going on in that room and sharing the piece and seeing how it has to change or adapt ideally to what the situation is. Um, sometimes I don't, you know, like each performance is something different. Mm-hmm. And I try not to. I always say, like, if you want to hear the album version, get the album. Then yeah. I'm probably going to do something different. I'm probably going to change it up. I might take the words out of the chorus and make it a call and response thing. Or I might cut half of the song and do the rest a cappella. Um, or yeah. I might freestyle, you know, and do something more engaging like that. But, or, uh, you know, or it might just, I always belabor over and over again. And I've actually, I watched the program documentary 20 recently, which is really inspiring and amazing. What documentary um, is it called? 20? I think it's, I think it's called 20. Right, it's I'm a pretty program documentary and it's really amazing. And like, I think they're kind of bastardized a lot um, mm-hmm. by like the people that emulated them and then they got caught up somehow in the parodies of themselves. So people are like, yeah, Creed. And like, it's not what it is. Uh, but <laughs> it's not what it is at all. But, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so Eddie Vedder, you know, was saying like how he doesn't, like he, they'll talk about the set list for so long and, and then he'll get up there and they'll just change it as they go. And I do the same thing. We're like, I'll stress for days. I'm not stressed, so like I'll, I'll think about it and I'll sort the songs out and I'll drop songs and I'll put new ones in and I'll say, well, this part should be like a freestyle or this part should be an acapella that I do, mm-hmm. uh, a spoken word thing, and then this should be this song which thematically goes to this next thing. I put all the thought into it and I, it's funny because I do it every single time. <laughs> so get on stage and it all goes out the window. And more often than not, something gets changed, even if it's the order of songs. Mm-hmm. But something get changed because of what the room or what the people, it's going to sound like woo-woo and kind of like mysticism but, you know, uh, um, what the room needs, what people need, like what it seems like the vibe is, you know. I mean, <laughs> you have, about, like, all those eyes on you, you, as woo-woo as it might sound, that's a real thing. You can feel, like, people's, people's mood and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And sorry for so, I think all good performers react to that, mm-hmm. ideally, you know? I mean, you can have one set and choose to do your set, and I think that's important, too. But I think I think reacting to the room and getting, you know, sometimes I have to admit a lot of times I'm not like, I'm not like the best crowd-controlling MC. You know, like I don't, there's certain times when I'm in my comfort zone and or like, the right amount of people are there and they're giving me the right energy where, where the vibe is right, where people want to interact and they want to do... Sometimes people want you to be like, when I say, hey, you say ho, or like, repeat these lines with me or whatever, cool. But mm-hmm. sometimes it would be the worst thing to do that. 
Like, if I'm, I'm not going to do that if I'm in a library with five people. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's a, it's ridiculous. They're not going to get, they wouldn't, and it's not about being true to yourself. It's about being true to the, to your artistic dedication to communicating and connecting with your audience. Mm-hmm. And so to me, like, I'm not going to do that, even if I plan to do that. I'm just going to just, maybe what I'll do is I'll just do my song to the best of my ability without crowd engagement, just as a performance, the way a blues player would do it or something, where you're just playing, and the people are listening. And then and that's what they want, is they just want to see you do it. They don't want to hear you monologue in between the songs. They don't want to hear, you know, you tell them what to say, and they say it back. They just want to, like, watch the performance and hear the songwriting, and they want to hear the rhymes or whatever it is. Or maybe they don't want to hear beats, mm-hmm. you know? Or maybe they don't want to hear the instrumental. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I'm just getting so, down. Yeah. Right. So change it or whatever, or don't mm-hmm. and own it and make it yours and, and whatever and, and own that decision. But like, you know, I just think, yeah, the performance is so important and such a beautiful aspect of it. And I wonder how much of the internet has sort of taken that away from people. Mm. Um, you can have a simulated, like with the social aspect of it, you can have a simulated experience of socializing or connecting, and but there's no uh, there's no replacement for the actual you know face to face. I I used to have a um, I used to run a virtual open mic, and I can tell you that that is pretty true. To be honest, with you. like but it was. Yeah, it was it was cool. Like I did it off a thing called Blab. I am, and it was basically like Skype, but it had four Macs, um, different like uh, uh, webcams that were available or seats they would call it. And yeah. people can you can set up up to two hosts or just one, and you know they occupy one of the web or one of the fucking webcams, and uh, people can join. You can kick them as a host. And then um, everyone could watch it live, and there's rolling comments. And we would have, like, one person would be waiting, like, up on the, you know, webcam. Or, or we'd have a comedian up there doing jokes in between. And then we would be hosting, and we'd bring someone on, and they'd perform poetry. Um, but there was this disconnect. Like, it, it was, it, you, you know, when you're in a room with someone who is very captivating, it drew. Yeah. It draws you in. It it's hard to look away for the most part. And yeah. when you're you don't have the atmosphere and that's what we're what I'm talking about anyways, or I would imagine you are too, when you get up on stage and you, you get that feeling you feel the audience out, is it's that atmosphere. And Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean and and again, like some people say that they like my recording more than they like my performance and vice versa. And I think that's that's it. That's fine. Then come catch the show or buy it out. But like, I that means I'm doing my job. If both things attract different people, mm-hmm. it, that means that means they're different. That means those are different experiences. And like, I want you because if you just perform perfectly with no engagement and no alteration or no. Um, no motivation from the crowd or from the, the room and the energy that people are putting out there, mm-hmm. then you might as well be striking. Because you're not in the room with people. And you just admitted that, that dichotomy yourself um, before when you, of um, having this, 
you know, you're, you're looking at the, the same kind of the similar work as um, when you perform your material, you know, you're like one song in specific, when you perform that and then when someone listens to it recorded. Um, for for the person, just like you're saying, is having, you know, where you're not in the crowd, you're not, you don't want that experience, but you do want to hear the music um, and someone might like that more and that's okay. You're right. Because even when you're, I or not you're right, I agree with you. Because even when you're making your music, you see the distinction between the album you recorded in that same song that you're performing because you're going to change it up because you're performing the collaboration between you and the audience. It's different. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. Dude, that's fucking cool. Right? I'm curious. Um, yes? No, I was just going to say it's always an interesting and enriching journey. And I think as long as that's true and you allow it to be true, it's worth the sacrifices that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. It it definitely is like there's um there's I have never willingly like slept for two hours or drove for five hours to do something for an hour and drive back for five hours aside from these things yeah. that really just just fascinate me. And, yeah. Uh, I was curious when you did this touring thing. Um, how did you go about like? learning how to do that because obviously it doesn't sound like you had an agent or a manager that you just called and said figure the shit out for me and then you're given dates it sounds like you you really had to put in some work yeah um all i can say is it's funny because i actually i don't have an agent in any or i don't have a a manager and actually if someone out there listening <laughs> wants to help that would be great um i'm open too <laughs> like a full-time job um you know, just to book a tour, you gotta spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of emails that you probably hear back from five percent of the people you email, mm-hmm. um, and phone calls and whatever, um, and research. Um, so I actually I wrote, um, and they, I don't know how you do this, but I can send you the link. But I wrote a blog post about that. And there's plenty of resources, and again, it all goes to like, if you want to do the research, do you want to learn? Then then go out there. There's always something to learn from. There's yeah. always a, a video or a blog or a book that you can, or a person that you know that did this also that you can just kind of tap the shoulder of, uh, or open the page of, or open the page on the internet. Of. People and respect you for merely asking too. That is another thing. To yeah, really yeah. I mean, again, being the dumbest person in the room has its benefits. So there's room to grow. <laughs> so, and I'm often the dumbest person in the room. I am as uh, well. <laughs> um. And so, so, I don't know. So, my first tour, I was really lucky. I went along with my friend, Alexa Dexa, who tours throughout the country and the world. Um, and I give her, she is so, so talented. And I give her so much credit because it's all like DIY. Everything she does, she just books it all herself. And she produces it all herself and records it and all these things. So, in any case, in, in 2012, we met at a show on Long Island. And um, and then she said, well, I'm going on a tour. Do you want to go with me in, in February? I said, uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. So that was the first thing I did. And so we would get together. What we did was we took Megabus, which is analogous to the cheap version of a Greyhound or Peter Pan or whatever. Uh, um, Peter Pan. And take, we would, yeah, so we would take buses around from town to town and then just play these venues, whatever they were, whether they were like, Open mic, if they were open mics, if they were bars, if they were cafes, 
or like weird thrift stores or even our host's houses because we were couch surfing. Oh, wow. So, so we couch surf for where we didn't know people. We would go on couchsurf.com and, and we would contact people. Um, and we would use Megabus to get around, um, which at this point I've kind of given up on using that as a method because I have a very fuel-efficient car. Um, so it, it's, I prefer, I value the freedom and the ability to potentially sleep in my car more than I do the, the cheapness of tickets. Because if you, early, if you order Megabus tickets as early as you can, like the day they go on sale, you can sometimes, we got free tickets. Sometimes Whoa. we got 50 to travel three states. What? Five Yeah. And so obviously as they get closer to the travel time, you know, the tickets exponentially increase in how exorbitant they are. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, we, we just kind of knew places we wanted to hit. Um, and then, and then we said, okay, well, these are main places, you know, we have like satellites or we have friends or we have, you know, we've played there before, whatever it was. And then we would, we would try to hit those spots up. And what you would do is you, you know, I would just, it got to the point of creepy where I would just like, the research went as deep as me going on Facebook, typing in the name of a city that I wanted to go to. And then I would just see all my friends who ever lived there, I went to school there. And I would message all those friends and say, do you know any venues? Do you know anybody that plays music there? Do you know anything? Like, and it was very grassroots. It was very, it's, it's very DIY process. And it's very much just like friends of friends of friends. Um, or, hey, can have, you know, like I said, I have all these musician friends now. Mm-hmm. So have each other's back. And, hey, do you know anybody in Philly? Do you know anybody in, in New Orleans? you know, that has a, a house or a venue or something where we could stay or perform in a living room or, you know, in a cafe. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, then in 2014, I booked my second big tour, and that's probably one of my most, like, proud accomplishments was doing that because I did it all myself, and, and it was really hard. And I, for about three weeks, it was I did at least eight hours of, of like, researching and emailing and contacting people and, planning a day for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I adopted a full-time job on top of having a full-time job, on mm-hmm. top of, you know, doing musical stuff, on top of performing. So it's not easy. Um, but, it's, I mean, again, every time I do something like that, I think, wow, okay, why don't I do this all the time? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, all those times I'm kicking myself and, like, annoyed and my eyes are itchy and you're just like, how many fucking emails do I have to send? It sucks. <laughs> it's back to you. And, you know, I thought, you know, when I put out an ask to, to my fans, people who have said, hey, come out here, come out here. I said, yeah, that's great. But how, what are the logistics? Like, I can't make, mm-hmm. we know it's not about money, but at the same time, just how do you think financially I'm going to make it to Oregon when I live in, on the other coast? Yeah. And I, I, I love that you love my work, but can you put me up? Can you get me a place to perform? Can you, you know, and it's so different now. You know, it's not just like, you know, I'm not signed. But you can do this stuff and not be signed. I mean, now more than ever, because of technology, everything is in the hands of the artist if they're willing to do the work and do the legwork. See, and that's what I, I think is um, such a beautiful thing about now that I really enjoy is that there's such a low barrier to entry to, well, in comparison to, to how it, has been historically um to 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 
putting out your things. And it doesn't even have to be in the sense of an artist. Even if you're like a small business person, there's Kickstarter and all of those things. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's when I talk, when I was bringing up this whole thing of idea, notion of like lucky and all that other stuff, is that, especially today, that it, I really don't believe, for the most part, I mean, if you're born with fucking cancer or you got cancer, I mean, I'm sorry, that, that really sucks. And you did get a shitty draw of hand. But um, for the most part, there's nothing now. Or very few things in this life that could hold you back from having access to exactly what everybody else has access to. Like, oh wow! And I, I see that with with creatives like yourself, and that's the shit that has inspired me. And when I reached out to you, like I, I've followed your work for probably I don't know about a year and a half, two years through one of the idea pages, and that's what I saw is that like constantly you're trying to figure out a way to make this work. And you're just getting better and better and better as you're, you know, going through. And it inspired me more because instead of just seeing people who, you know, like uh, Atmosphere or uh, any uh, artist who who is not, I wouldn't want to say peak because I don't know their situation, but is uh, in a notable place in their art. Um, I didn't see the transition in between and watching other people who are striving for it and who are close and far and somewhere in between, it, it's but made it real. Certainly have. I, I think it's more in, in your, within your grasp than ever. And it's, it's more tangible and feasible than ever, as long as you're willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, regardless, I believe, I mean, for all its ills and for how screwed up everything is right now, we have so many opportunities and so many chances to do things that we love and do things we want to do. And, you know, if, if anything, does anything supersede your happiness or does anything supersede your, uh, your passion and your dream? Um, I don't know. So maybe you'll have to move to, to a different state. Mm-hmm. But it's more affordable. So you, can, so, I, you know, so you can afford to go to other places and to work from home, you know, doing whatever it is, your art, your Patreon or something. But there's all these options now. There's all these things. And it's all that's standing in the way is you not trusting that you put the work in and you consistently work harder and keep trying to push yourself and put yourself out there. You're going to, quote, unquote, make it. And I think more important than that than anything is you have to enjoy the process more than you have to enjoy the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to enjoy the journey because the destination, like you said, so at the end, you just finished Borderlands, well, now what? Mm-hmm. You, you learn <laughs> that in yeah. archery, um, is that you have to be have a process mindset and not a results-driven mindset, because if you're uh, like shooting arrows, for example, and you're staring at a target, and all you're thinking is, is I'm going to hit the bullseye, I'm going to hit the bullseye. I'm gonna hit, so you're fixating on the idea of hitting the bullseye. And the entire time, because archery, you have to put everything has to be the same. If, you do, if you're not um, precise, meaning uh, you don't have, you're not repeatable to a very high degree, you're going to hit somewhere else on the target, even though you're aiming in the same spot. So if you're fixating right. on, I'm going to hit the, you know, I need to hit the target, and then you miss, you're like, fuck. And you fixate even harder on, like, I need to hit the target, I need to hit the target. What you don't realize is is that that fixating on that is um, altering your emotions and it is um, perverting your process. Right. Because you're not focusing on what it actually takes to release the arrow and yeah. what it takes to see the bow and what it takes to 
nor the enjoyment of actually, um, uh, it sounds weird, but nor the enjoyment of, of doing something like, not yeah, doing something well, just being in the moment, if you will, not to be so corny, but it, it really is that feeling, and that's like when you were saying, I, I bet I, you would imagine that I feel it too, and getting up on stage, that feeling, and that feeling is probably of being, you know, of going up on stage with whatever material it is, and even if it's only like four people, um, or a hundred people, or more, it, it's the same, I experience it the same, and it's, you would say that it's like overcoming this sense of anxiety and then um, being fluid and really hammering out your material. Like that feeling of vibing, especially with a crowd, feels awesome. But I would almost want to zoom out and say it's the demanding of me being present because I have no choice in that moment to focus on, to focus on the process. Because if I'm distracted by the results, I'm not performing. Right. Well, that's, and that's another thing is... There's a difference I've found, and I, I think this has something to do with it, but if I, if I mess up, there's a, there's a big difference between being obsessive as a performer, hitting the bullseye, meaning getting everything right, mm-hmm. and then and just being there and knowing that the performance is the right thing and that time is happening and everyone's eyes and ears are on you and everyone's hearts are, are rapidly held attention if you're doing your thing right. And so if I screw up, if I forget a line, which happens more often than I'd like to admit, mm-hmm. if I forget a line for whatever reason, um, I just keep going. I mean, I, I will freestyle or I'll find my way back and I'll think quickly and I'll think, you know, as rapidly as I can to either figure out what the next thing is or to fill in the space until I catch myself up again. But there's been plenty of time where... Uh, actually, the same show that I met my friend Alexa Dexter that I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was just like really rapping along with the crowd, and or like I was performing, I was performing a song, and and he just started saying some stuff like, or he was either talking, and he was a big guy, he was either talking, or he was like doing some random hype man stuff that I wasn't expecting, but it threw my train of thought off, and so immediately I lapsed into a freestyle about him, uh, and then just knew where I was in the song and then jumped back into the chorus perfectly, like, and it was like this magic moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, if I was just obsessed with, you always see it in the beginning of people performing, where they're, like, so obsessed with the idea of, like, it's in them exactly the perfect thing that I planned it to be, and now they're fumbling, and they're like, hold on, let me start the song over. And, mm-hmm. oh, hold on, I'm like, oh, shit, I fucked up. And it's like, well, now you're really fucking up because you're fucking it up even further by remarking on it. Yeah, exactly. You're fixating on the mistake. It's like, this is not the time for the pit stop. They're still going 200 miles an hour. you got to keep going. you just got to, like, shift gears and figure it out. And, mm-hmm. then, and then, you know, when your performance is over, and that's a matter of presence, I think, you know, and I think that it goes to that reminder that, you know, well, time is just happening. Like, it's not stopping. You can't stop the performance. You can't slow it down, you know, or think on your feet. And actually, I screwed up. I did a show on Monday in the city. And uh, and I accidentally and I was doing a narrative song, and uh, I I accidentally somehow put the third verse where the second verse was. But I just went first verse, chorus, third verse, and and I was like, oh, fuck, okay, uh, wait, um, well, no, not a lot of people know that. 
I mean, that's also the benefit of nobody knowing your, your stuff. So they don't really know when you fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you can kind of just roll it off. You know, people always say that they'll introduce a new song. They're like, you know, I'll probably screw it up. And I'll always yell out. I'll always yell out. I'll be like, I'm the encouraging heckler. <clears throat> and I'm just like, nobody knows. It's fine. We don't know the lyrics. You, if you don't know the lyrics, no one else does. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it, it's your song. So you tell us what it is, I, you know, and then just remark to yourself later. So whatever. So I just, I said, okay, I'm going to end the song after the second chorus. And just, I'll have to skip the second verse altogether. And mm-hmm. like, honestly, to me, the worst, that's like the worst time you could do that is in a song with a story. But yeah, narrative one, highly structured. <laughs> yeah. So, but at the same time, well, the reason I was like, okay with it was because I realized like, okay, well, if you just didn't know the second verse, it's probably, it's just, you can still make sense of the whole message and the whole story of the song if you just like first the third verse. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, and I remember while I was performing it, and this is all the layers of thinking, and this is, again, fixing you on the thinking while you're doing it is going to further trip you up. But I was like, oh, man, like, should I start it over? No, definitely never start it over. That's crazy. I'm like, okay, thank God for this muscle memory right now because, like, I'm thinking about something totally different while still performing the lyrics. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can only really do that when you're super prepared or uh, when you really know the material but, exactly uh, I think it comes down to that though again yeah I agree it's, it's the presence it's the, it's the process I mean if I don't enjoy making an album then I'm certainly not going to enjoy the album anymore now that people like it or validate it I mean that's going to feel good but it's not going to make it's not going to make me any more happy when I'm like when I think of another project to make you know yeah. it has to be that I enjoy the journey of making the album or making the, the book or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think if anything, that's, that's the great, that's the thing, that's the take home among all of the, I don't know, I think we we covered a, a big thing here, the, uh, the big, the whole panorama of ideas here, but I think yeah, the big take to me is that the common denominator is like creating is, is like, is beautiful and mystifying and baffling and engaging, and and you have to enjoy that. It's not always secure. It's not always predictable. It's not always, like, fun and easy. But, like, if you enjoy the invention and you enjoy the adventure, well, then you're set. You're good. And now it just comes down to putting the work in. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, I feel like, that's, the, that's, like, such a huge thing to remember all the time. It's like, it's okay if it's work. It's work you love. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. So, it's, it's a different feeling so, to it. So that's the case, you know. Yeah, it's the same thing, dude. Thank you so much, Bruce. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're a really cool guy, and I relate to you on a lot of these topics, and kind of got me a little bit charged up over here, man. <laughs> Excellent, I love it. That's good, man. No, the feeling is definitely mutual, and I really appreciate the opportunity, and um. You know, we should definitely uh, find a way to collaborate. Or you know, there's, I've been meaning to get out your your way, um, not out of your way, but out towards your way um, for quite a while. And I've had a lot of, you know, I, I might I, not a snarky remark, but you know, before I didn't, I definitely didn't mean to um, to to seem ungrateful when I said that other people had asked me a lot, like especially about the West Coast, like come on out, come on out. So. Yeah, no, I completely understand, man. That's like I, I've um, it's kind of the similar for East Coast is where like I've had quite a few people who 
asked me to come out and it was you know it, it didn't it either didn't come through or it was like you know the logistics issue but um to be honest I, I need to make it out there and i just quit my job like a week ago so that was exactly. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yes so yeah you know, if, if, uh, if you're headed out this way i'll do everything i can to get you some opportunities mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be a pleasure to meet you in person and i again Really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast and everything, and yeah, I really respect what you're doing and what seems to be your your goals here in communicating all this stuff out to the world. So, thank you very much, Bruce. I really appreciate that, man, and I appreciate you coming on. You've really um, helped shed a light for me personally on a lot of my own processes and things that I kind of struggled with, but also um, kind of sharing like how how you went from being immersed into being an artist and trying to, you know, figure out this thing and experimenting with it and letting it lead you on all these adventures where some people just, you know, confused on how to start that thing. And I hope it's right. at least helpful to one person, you know? I, I agree. I mean, that's, if I'm doing this for anything, it's to just hopefully influence people to do something positive for themselves and those around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything else is just sort of, Keeping myself, <laughs> keep myself from being bored. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, um, giving. That's some... all it is. It's just, I don't want to be bored, so I'll just make something else. I mean, mm-hmm. people always ask me. I saw someone post something the other day, and I could go off on another tangent. But someone said, but I think this applies to this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. If someone said, uh, "Would you never create again if someone gave you fifty thousand dollars?" I was like, "Are you kidding? That's not even a question." Yeah. Of course, I did not do that. I mean, what else is there if I can't create? That's what, like, people who get the lottery and some people will say, you know, look, they, they like, they lose everything or they spend all the money, you know, it doesn't bring them happiness. Or um, even people retiring, I've seen it where they're like, I just went back to work because I was bored. And the only thing that goes yeah, through but- my head is, is that would be a means to spend more time creating. That's all that I want. Yeah. And so, and, and it's just because you haven't, found what you love or you have opted to believe that it's not a viable option to pursue that. Yes. Um, I completely understand that people have responsibilities and that people have families and everything, but, I mean, at the same time, what does it cost? You know, I mean, what is it all for? I mean, if you're not modeling your life after what you need and what you what you love, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what you love about your own pursuits, are just as important as those folks of the people that you love. Yeah. So, you know, finding some way some way in the middle of the Venn diagram of those things, of providing of of, of um pragmatism and imagination and pursuing your love, I mean, there's no more important journey than that one, I think. And um, I'd like to zoom out on it all too. Yes. <laughs> Keep going, Bruce, you're good. Yeah, so that's and that's that's the flag I've been flying and the, the cape I've been floating around with on is just that one of you know that chasing your personal legend as Paolo says in the Alchemist um, and that whole thing. So you know, I wish you luck on your journey, Will, and you know, I look forward to when they intersect. Ooh, that was a lot of fun. Damn, I gotta make my way over to the East Coast. I've never been, but if everyone's as cool as him, which probably most of them are, I'd imagine. Not all, but most. 
then I'd have a blast. God damn. Especially with how uh, vivid or active the performance, performing arts culture is. That sounds pretentious as fuck. Just fucking stage time. That sounds like fun to me. (laughs) Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please check out Bruce on SoundCloud, Bandcamp. I think he's got some stuff on Spotify as all one. And on social media is all one voice including Bandcamp and I'm telling you that fucking his YouTube uh, show that he's got his YouTube show Spontaneous Sundays where he's just freestyling I'm gonna play you out by another song by all one this one's called The Following Foreclosed, battered homes, riddled with alcoholism Beggars battle foreclosed in an abysmal neighborhood with Cabot Grove Syndrome This will act as the backdrop given to this narrative Which a Providence native named Davis starring in A martial arts event wanted him in NYC, so South Bronx it is He's walking in a part of town whose blocks emitted ambiance That is ominous to get to his lodging from this conference he was talking in He isn't an ounce racist, but his paler pallor makes his out of place status obvious As every scowling countenance and Counted as a darker skin, an oppressed, twilight lit, aggressive environment. He perceives forthwith, so he proceeds forth with cautions. His radar gets the guarded alarm, a stranger is following him, and a provocative, powerful panic prompts his nausea as he feels how the field mouse that sees the hawk does. terrified of the situation but not petrified as they say by its grim implications thus he quickens his pace a little bit praise gives him his praise hoping that he isn't his prey this isn't the place adrenaline is in play the hair on the nape of his neck has been raised he continuously fancies to feign a stretch and attempts to catch inconspicuous glances out the corner of his eye of his advancing assailant he can't be sure if morbid in design but his pernicious pursuer is a veritable formidable giant of course this is inciting thoughts of his daughter and his wife torturing his mind he grapples with his horror and his fright is this prejudice cowardice or precaution and insight friends offered him a kindly ride warned him of this time of night and by the by he's bordering a blinding bias boiling down to a binding frightening fight or flight Needing to sedate all this tension He figures if he changes direction He'd gauge if this presence is aiming to get him Engagement is dreaded Surprised by his wish that he came with a weapon Or maybe mace for the menace He turns to cross an intersection Imagination, havoc, mayhem Hectic like the butterflies in his midsection The awful brute behind him also alters his route And follows suit, so continues our pursuit Dave shudders as his predator shouts after him Hey, evidently endeavoring to capture him He thinks of everything he's got to 
lose This guy tries to catch up Or more like catch Dave Preemptive reflexive He tenses defensive The training of senseis Now he can sensei Heightened zen state Instated Hence David Fast he spun around Finding Goliath Towering over him His hand thrusting out Dave jumped back Waiting for a handgun to sound Yo man I just found this Saw it land on the ground Here's your wallet You should watch it This is a bad part of town It turned out so right For strange